Chapter Nine of All in the Day's Work by Ida Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Goodbye to France. The Napoleon sketch had not been finished before Mr. McClure was urging me into a new job, not writing this time, but editing, editing according to his recipe. Out with you, look, see, report. Abraham Lincoln was the subject. My heart fell if you once get into american history i told myself you know well enough that will finish france it will also finish your determination to solve the woman question and determine the nature of revolutions they will go the way of the microscope in your search for god are you to spend your life running now here now there never follow a path to its end or was i taking my ambitions too seriously it seemed probable however i was to have five thousand a year if i went along there was no question in my mind but it was my duty to earn that money lincoln was one of mr mcclure's steady enthusiasms i once saw him in puzzled efforts to find the reason for the continued life of a certain great american magazine going through the file from the civil war on solely to find out what attention had been given to lincoln not a lincoln article in this volume nor in this he cried it is not a great magazine it has overlooked the most vital factor in our life since the civil war the influence of the life and character of abraham lincoln his insight told him that people never had had enough of lincoln moreover he believed that there was to be had for the seeking a large amount of unpublished reminiscences it was on this conviction that he started me off he was right about unpublished material lincoln had been dead only about thirty years and hundreds of those who had known him in one connection or another were still living his secretaries nicolay and hay had finished their great documentary life of their chief they should have personal material not in their volumes there were members of his cabinet still living members of congress of his time editors like joseph medill of the chicago tribune horace white of the chicago tribune and later of the new york evening post colonel mcclure of the philadelphia inquirer there were scores of men in illinois towns who had traveled the circuit with him for whom he acted as counsel scores of people who had as a youth heard the lincoln douglas debates and had been stirred to say lincoln's got it right they had followed him in his fight against the extension of slavery and later into the war to save the union there was indeed no point of his short trail from birth to death where living men and women had not known him as colleagues friends opponents critics also there had never been a time from the day he had become a presidential candidate to the hour of his assassination that his life had not been under scrutiny yet it had been difficult to find out much about him there is not much of me he told a friend searching for biographical material but there had always been enough to touch deep springs in american hearts and consciences men like william dean howells and j g holland later to occupy high places in our literary life had written campaign lives of him hardly was he in his coffin before his brilliant if unstable law partner william herndon was gathering from all sources reminiscences estimates documents on his life up to the presidency 
and from his gathering herndon made a story of extraordinary vitality and colour most important always to remain most important was the collection of his letters and speeches and the ten-volume abraham lincoln a history by nicolay and hay why do more what was there to be had mr mcclure insisted that there was plenty if one searched i went to talk it over with john nicolay who as well as his fine daughter helen was an honored member of the famous old washington literary society where i was a frequent guest i told him what mr mcclure proposed did he not have something he could give me he was emphatic in saying there was nothing of importance to be had the collection of letters and speeches he and mr hay had made was complete they had told all there was worth telling of lincoln's life he would advise me not to touch so hopeless an assignment i think mr nicolay never quite forgave me for going ahead later when the results of my search began to appear and gradually to shape themselves into a life of lincoln he came to me one evening to protest you are invading my field you write a popular life of lincoln and you do just so much to decrease the value of my property i was deeply distressed he thought me a poacher i told him i believed he was mistaken i pleaded that if i could write anything which people would read i was making readers for him to know a little of lincoln was for the serious a desire to know more he and mr hay had written something that all students must have i could never hope to make an essential lasting contribution but he went away unconvinced mr nicolay's point of view if not generous was certainly honest i understand it better now than i did then he had lived through the great years of the civil war always at lincoln's elbow he had been the stern careful humorless guardian of a man who carried his mail in his hat and a laugh on his lips his reverence for him was a religion he had given years of conscientious hard labor to the editing of the complete works and the writing of the history and now he was retired lincoln was his whole life we all come to rest our case on the work to which we have given our best years frequently come to live on that so to speak when the time comes that our field is invaded by new workers enlarged reshaped made to yield new fruit we suffer shock we may put up a no trespassing sign but all to no use mr nicolay's tragedy was in not having found a fresh field how different it was with his colleague john hay whose secretaryship with lincoln had been an episode in a diplomatic career of unusual distinction and usefulness in eighteen ninety four everybody realized that he had a greater future before him his part in the life of lincoln had been but one of many contributions to the literature of his day his social circle was the choicest and he was rich hay had everything nicolay only lincoln and he looked on all who touched his field as invaders mr nicolay's rebuff settled my plan of campaign i would not begin at the end of the story with the great and known but at the start in kentucky with the humble and unknown i would follow the trail chronologically i would see for myself what sort of people and places those were that had known lincoln 
reconstruct the life of his day as far as living men and women backed by published records furnished reliable material i would gather documents as i went bits of color stories recollections i would search in courthouses and county histories and newspapers i would pick up pictures as i went a picture of everything that directly or indirectly touched on what i was after i would make sure if among these people who had known him there might not be letters not in the complete works and if i were lucky somewhere on the trail i might turn up the important unpublished reminiscences which mr mcclure was so certain existed it was a gamble the greater because i was so profoundly ignorant of american life and history it was in february of eighteen ninety five the napoleon work still unfinished though far enough ahead to give me a month for a preliminary survey that i started for the lincoln country of kentucky to begin work on this program it was characteristic of mr mcclure as he saw me off in the deadly cold to take sudden alarm for my comfort have you warm bed socks he asked anxiously we'll send you some if not it will be awful in those kentucky hotels it was louisville aside awful in more than one hotel and train in my first month of lincoln hunting the results were not exciting they were too fragmentary bits of unrecorded recollections a picture a letter a newspaper paragraph a court record which had passed notice what was to be done with them here was no smashing new contribution such as an article of unpublished recollections from mr nicolay might have been but here were bits of value if you were to enlarge and retouch the popular notion of the man lincoln it was soon clear to mr mcclure and mr phillips that what i was collecting must be dovetailed into the published records and that they told me was my business before i knew it i was writing a life of lincoln though the first three chapters carried the legend edited by ida m tarbell the office seemed gradually to conclude that the editor had become the author though i think they were ahead of me in this decision we had a lucky break at the start which launched the undertaking even better i think than the big article we were looking for among my washington acquaintances was a delightful chicago woman mrs emily lyons she belonged to the group of early settlers who were still at this time in the thick of the exciting struggle to make the city the richest the finest physically and socially in the country their energy their daring their confidence their eagerness to learn to adapt was one of the social phenomena of the day now mrs lyon's husband was important in the wealth-producing class as she was in the social she knew practically everybody when she learned that i was interested in new material on lincoln she said at once come to chicago i'll see that you meet robert lincoln and i'll see that he gives you something too good to be true but mrs lyons kept her promise when i reached chicago on my first expedition producing mr lincoln at once now robert she ordered as she filled our cups i want you to give her something worth while to be drinking tea with the son of abraham lincoln was so unbelievable to me that i could scarcely take note of his reply i searched his face and manners for resemblances there was nothing he was all todd 
a big plump man perhaps fifty years old perfectly groomed with that freshness which makes men of his type look as if they were just out of the barber's chair the admirable social poise of the man who has seen the world's greatest and has come to be sure of himself and this in spite of such buffeting as few men had had the assassination of his father when he was twenty-four the humiliation of mary lincoln's half-crazed public exhibition of herself and her needs the death of his brother tad the heartbreaking necessity of having his mother committed for medical care and more recently the loss of his only son robert lincoln had had enough to crush him but he was not crushed at the moment he looked and felt i think that he had arrived where he belonged the republican party would have been happy no doubt to make him its leader if he had shown political genius recalling that of his father they tried him out garfield and arthur made him attorney-general harrison named him minister to the court of st james but nothing happened he was not political timber but by this time big business wanted him it was his field he was now president of the pullman company i devoured him with my eyes he was very friendly to mrs lyon's order to do his best for me he laughingly replied of course if you say so emily but he went on to say he was afraid he had a little that would help me herndon had taken all his father's papers from the law office i think he used the word stolen but i am not sure at least i knew he felt they were stolen he had protested but was never able to get anything back as for the presidential period all the correspondence was packed away in washington but it had been fully used by nicolay and hay however he had what he believed to be the earliest portrait made of his father a daguerreotype never published i could have that i held my breath if it was true i held my breath still longer when the picture was finally in my hands for i realized that this was a lincoln which shattered the widely accepted tradition of his early shabbiness rudeness ungainliness it was another lincoln and one that took me by storm of course we made it the frontispiece to our first instalment and the office saw to it that those whose opinions were of value had fine prints of it it called out some remarkable letters woodrow wilson wrote that he found it both striking and singular a notable picture he was impressed by the expression of the dreaminess the familiar face without its sadness charles dudley warner wrote that he found it far and away the most outstanding presentation of the man that he had ever seen to my eyes it explains mr lincoln far more than the most elaborate engraving which has been produced a common enough comment was that it looks like emerson edward everett hale wrote us that he had shown the picture to two young people of intelligence who each asked if it was not waldo emerson a valuable and considered comment came from john t morse the author of a life of abraham lincoln as well as editor of a series on leading american statesmen i have studied this portrait with very great interest wrote mr morse all of the portraits with which we are familiar show us the man as made this shows us the man in the making and i think everyone will admit that the making of abraham lincoln presents a more singular puzzling interesting study than the making of any other man in human history 
i have shown it to several persons without telling them who it was some say a poet others a philosopher a thinker like emerson these comments also are interesting for lincoln had the raw material of both these characters very largely in his composition though political and practical problems so overlaid them that they show only faintly in his later portraits this picture therefore is valuable evidence as to his natural traits robert lincoln was almost as proud as i was of the character of the comment if he felt as well he may have done that he was taking a chance in responding so generously to his friend mrs lyon's order he was rewarded by the attention the picture received from those whose opinions he regarded highly always thereafter he was quick to see me when i took a lincoln problem to him as i did when i had exhausted all other sources he was always frank and downright one puzzle i brought amused him no little it was the recurring rumor that abraham lincoln had written a letter to queen victoria early in the war begging her not to recognize the confederacy he was said to have sent it direct now no hint however unlikely no clue however shadowy was passed by in what had become in the mcclure office a veritable bureau of lincoln research anything is possible was our watchword i was carrying on a widespread correspondence and continually dashing in one direction or another on what turned out often to be wild goose chases but also not infrequently brought in valuable game mr mcclure was especially excited over this letter the state department pooh-poohed the idea the curator of documents in london was non-committal i interviewed people who were in position to know what was going on but learned nothing finally i went to chicago to see robert lincoln his eye seemed harder to me in his office than over mrs lyon's tea-table but he quickly put me at ease i was certain that my quest was going to seem ridiculous to him indeed it had become a little so to me but he didn't throw it aside he picked it up and played with it he had never heard of such a letter and doubted if it had been written if father had done that he said with emphasis and mr adams charles francis adams then minister to great britain had learned of it he would have resigned father knew of course that all communication between governments must be carried on by the credited ambassadors and then he fell to talking laughingly of his own experiences at the court of st james he said he had received all sorts of things to be presented to the queen patchwork quilts patent medicines books sheet music i suppose he said that lots of americans fancy that their ambassadors smoke cigarettes awhile every morning after breakfast with the queen they take it for granted he can drop in for tea any time and present quilts of course such people see no reason why a president cannot write a queen direct and he laughed until the tears came that interview put an end for the time being to the search for the letter to the queen as the item had come to be called in the office when the life was finally complete mr lincoln wrote me it seemed to me at first that the field had been too many times gleaned to hope for much from the work you were undertaking and i must confess my astonishment and pleasure upon the result of your untiring research i consider it an indispensable adjunct to the work of nicolay and hay 
mr nicolay however never agreed if robert lincoln was always friendly he threw me once into the greatest panic i suffered in the course of my lincoln work though this was long after the life was published i had gone to ask him if he would arrange for me to consult the collection of presidential papers impossible he said they are in the safety vault of my bank i won't allow anybody to see them there is nothing of my father's there that is of value nicolay and hay have published everything but there are many letters to him which if published now would pain possibly discredit able and useful men still living bitter things are written when men are trying to guide a country through a war particularly a civil war i fear misuse of those papers so much that i am thinking of destroying them besides somebody is always worrying me about them just as you are and i must be ungenerous i think i will burn them i was scared i feared he would do it but herbert putnam the head of the congressional library had already seen to that he did not burn them the library got them finally but with the condition that they were not to be opened until twenty-one years after robert lincoln's death he died in nineteen twenty six the papers will not be available to students until nineteen forty seven which probably lets me out the early portrait set the key for the series and as it turned out a much higher key than i had believed possible i found that court records did yield unpublished documents that every now and then i ran on a man or woman who said more or less casually why we have a letter of lincoln's written to father in blank copy it if you wish occasionally i found a speech not in the complete works by the time the work was put into book form in eighteen ninety nine i had an appendix of three hundred unpublished speeches and letters this did not mean that none of them had ever been in print many of them had appeared in newspapers or historical magazines unpublished meant uncollected on the whole this collection stood the scrutiny of experts very well though i think i was swindled in the case of at least one document a forgery by a man recommended to me by an honest scholar who had used the man frequently for years forgery was easy so was pilfering of documents in those days so little attention did clerks give to their old papers so glad were they to get rid of them there was frequently no objection to a student carrying off anything that interested him one of the most important documents in the controversy over the legitimacy of lincoln's mother is now to be found in the barton collection which the university of chicago bought mr barton probably asked permission to take it home for examination a common enough practice in illinois as well as in kentucky and forgot to return it probably most of the legal documents in the private lincoln collections have been stolen the original thief would have been horrified to have that harsh word applied to him he simply put it into his pocket with or without permission saying i'll just take this along but while i did get together some three hundred pieces i came nowhere near turning up all the letters and speeches then at large i was under a time limit since i ended my search scores of items some of value have been published in one or another collection i shall be surprised if as time goes on there does not turn up every now and then a genuine letter though now more than ever caution must be taken in accepting a new piece 
the forging of historical documents has become a lucrative trade from the beginning i did my best to reconstruct the physical surroundings of lincoln's homes and activities i was particularly interested in the setting of the lincoln douglas debates which i followed in their order but it was not until i reached galesburg illinois where on october seventh eighteen fifty eight the fifth debate was staged that i found the stirring and picturesque material i sought in order to picture the scene of a debate i was delighted that it should have been the fifth debate which i have always considered the most important of the series for it was in that that lincoln brought his argument down to what to him was the crux of the whole matter that is that slavery was wrong and must be kept back or it would spread over the whole country the debate had taken place on the campus of knox college on the east front of its historic old main one of the most beautiful college buildings of that period in the middle west i had the luck to find in galesburg a helper who not only enthusiastically seconded my conviction that here was the place for the illustration which we wanted but set out heartily to help me find material this was john h finley my old friend on the chautauqua assembly daily herald dr finley was now president of the college the youngest college president in the united states he was popularly called doing a piece of work which was winning him more and more recognition it was through him that i was able to find the newspaper reports of the debate it was through him that i was able to meet people who could give me recollections of the day the picture which resulted from our joint efforts was made by that excellent artist william r lee who did many of the illustrations for the series it has had a continuing life being reproduced again and again on the occasion of the commemorative celebrations of the debate which dr finley inaugurated in eighteen ninety six it was at this celebration that robert lincoln made his first and only public address about his father the real fun of the lincoln work as well as some of the worthwhile results came from setting myself little problems i was curious for instance to know more of lincoln as a speaker whenever i found an illinois man who had been with him on the circuit or in public life i would bombard him with questions he would tell me how lincoln looked what his voice was like how he used stories they all talked more about the lincoln and douglas debates than any other exhibit but frequently would conclude by saying well those were good speeches but they were nothing like the lost speech that was the greatest thing lincoln ever did or a man would begin by saying well you can never know much about him as a speaker nobody can that never heard the lost speech it was they said a speech which so stirred his audience that the very reporters forgot to take their notes knowing reporters i was skeptical about that so i looked up some of them they all told me that when lincoln finally ended his speech they found themselves standing on instead of sitting by their writing-tables and without a note still i believe that somebody must remember something about the speech enough at least to give an idea of the argument perhaps i said to myself i may pick up some of the phrases get some real notion of it so i went prowling about asking questions and finally learned that in the state of massachusetts there was a man who was said to have taken notes a cool-headed man a lawyer not a reporter his name was henry c whitney 
he knew lincoln well had travelled the circuit with him had published a life on circuit with lincoln with which i was familiar of course there was nothing to do but look up mr whitney and that i did to my great satisfaction i found he had a bunch of yellowed notes he had always intended to write them up he said but when he tried it the result seemed so inadequate that he gave it up after much persuasion mr whitney did get out a version of the speech when he turned it over to me i took it to the men in illinois with whom i had talked and asked them what they thought of it there were those who said it's impossible to write out that speech but there were others who said yes whitney has caught the spirit he has the argument he even has many of the phrases as of course he would have if he made notes the most emphatic and enthusiastic statement came from a man of importance joseph medill the editor of the chicago tribune mr medill had been one of the reporters at bloomington in eighteen fifty six when the speech was made who found himself in the end on top of the table without a note he thought mr whitney's version was close to the original indeed he wrote to mr mcclure a long and interesting letter giving his recollections of the convention in that letter he said mr whitney has reproduced with remarkable accuracy what mr lincoln said largely in his identical language and partly in synonymous terms the report is close enough in thought and word to recall the wonderful speech delivered forty years ago with vivid freshness well that seemed to us reason enough for publishing mr whitney's report along with the story of how i had found it what the people who heard the speech in the first place said about it both for and against and that we did but out in illinois there were a number of people who did not want to give up the tradition the lost speech was the greater to them because it was lost as long as it was lost you could make it bigger than any speech any man ever made and nobody could contradict you and so you will find those who claim that the lost speech is still lost and of course you can take it or you can leave it more than once when i plumed myself on a discovery i encountered the loyalty of men to their legends there was the herndon story of lincoln's failing to appear at the first wedding arranged for him and mary todd i realized he rather lets his historical imagination loose in his description but i never had questioned his story until by chance i mentioned it to one of the family a woman who would have been there if there had ever been such a wedding ready she froze me with her indignation mr herndon made that story up out of whole cloth no such thing ever happened amazed i flew around to see what other men and women of the circle said they all denied it a sister of mary lincoln was particularly indignant because mr herndon had put the bride in white silk mary lincoln never had a white silk dress until she went to washington she sputtered but in spite of all the documents and evidences i collected demolishing the episode i reaped only sour looks and dubious headshakes i had spoiled a good story or tried to it still remains a good story every now and then somebody tells it to me a biographer who tries to break down a belittling legend meets with far less sympathy than he who strengthens or creates one the most important piece of ghost-writing i ever did came in the course of the lincoln work charles a dana's recollections of the civil war 
mr dana at that time the active editor of the new york sun had had an exceptional war experience dating from eighteen sixty two to eighteen sixty five as assistant to secretary stanton he had spent much time in the field he had been with grant at vicksburg with rosecrans and thomas at chattanooga again with grant in the peninsular campaign the eyes of the government at the front mr lincoln called him no man in the administration had had better opportunity of judging lincoln particularly in relation to the conduct of the war and none was a better judge of character could i get the whole story as far as it concerned lincoln i hesitated to ask it the truth was i was afraid of mr dana i knew him only on the editorial page of the new york sun he was too clever too quick-witted too malicious for me to get on with i feared they laughed at me at the office when i voiced my qualms nobody was held higher there than charles a dana he had been a customer of the mcclure syndicate from the beginning and they believed in his professional integrity admired his detestation and relentless pursuit of fakers honored and tried to imitate his editorial motto if you see it in the sun it's so why should you feel this way reproved mr phillips mr dana is a gentleman nonsense i'll take care of it for you said mr mcclure and he rushed to the sun office he did fix it and more for returning he told me with glee that mr dana was willing to give me his whole war story that is if i would do the work and arrange some practical plan for the interviews the first step of course was to find what dana material published and unpublished was in the war records the editing of the records then under way was in charge of j leslie perry mr perry did not believe in women fussing with history particularly with civil war history war was man's business how can you understand it he shouted at me however i insisted on my rights and nobody could have been more helpful when he considered a thing an obligation of his official position to the end mr perry's chief satisfaction came when he caught me slipping that's what comes from allowing a woman to write history he would say jubilantly between us we brought together a grist of dana's dispatches and reports i crammed on the campaigns and by appointment appeared at the end of mr dana's day about four o'clock in the afternoon for my first interview his desk was stripped of everything that pertained to the newspaper but held a row of the latest books not only in english but in three or four other languages as well as a copy of the cosmopolis an ambitious and rather pretentious review in three or four languages issued for a short time in the late nineties mr dana had already repented of his promise to mr mcclure i am not interested in what i did in the past he said irritably i am interested only in the present i am trying to keep up with the world of to-day i am studying russian now a very fascinating language i don't want to bother with what i did in the civil war what do you propose what i proposed was that he let me come to him with a stenographer and a set of prepared questions say three times a week he agreed and for a good many weeks of the winter of ninety six and ninety seven i went regularly to the sun office after the paper was put to press by the summer of eighteen ninety seven i had my manuscript well in shape mr dana had never seen any of it send me the proofs i'll read them 
publication was to begin in november of eighteen ninety seven mr dana went to london for the summer i sent the proof of the first chapter over with a good many qualms for it was all in the first person i and we it came back with only a few verbal corrections no comments he was never to read more of his recollections the number of the magazine which carried the first chapter carried the notice of his death we published the entire story and later the articles were put into a book but with no credit to the ghost taking it all in all it was the most impersonal job i ever had i do not remember that mr dana ever volunteered a word in all the many interviews i had with him except on the subject in hand and that in answer to my questions we never talked of the things which i knew he loved pictures orchids poetry it was a business-like operation from start to finish probably it was his way of punishing me for being afraid of him another and more important series which came out of the lincoln work was carl schurz's reminiscences here i acted not as a ghost but as an editorial representative mr schurz had given me liberally for my story from his rich lincoln experiences the most important unpublished item being the part he played in helping mr lincoln launch his plan for compensated emancipation as i reported these interviews the office became more and more convinced that here was a great series of reminiscences just the kind of thing that mr mcclure had hoped for when he first commissioned me to gather lincoln material could mr schurz be persuaded to write his reminiscences when i broached the subject he almost immediately said no no i refused gilder richard watson gilder editor of the century i cannot do it for anybody else but i felt so convinced that he ought to do it that i persisted in my begging and finally he began to yield the handsome sum mcclure's was willing to pay had something to do with it for mr schurz was not a rich man and here was a chance to leave to his family this extra money once he had made up his mind to the task he thoroughly enjoyed it and no one could have been more anxious to use material to suit the needs of the magazine working with him was a joy he was gay companionable full of anecdotes frank in comment i remember him best at his summer home at lake george where it was necessary for me to go two or three times to settle some editorial point here you would hear him in the morning as he was getting ready for breakfast giving the valkyrie cries singing motive after motive of the wagnerian operas in a clear youthful voice sometimes he would spring up from the table where he was at work and seating himself at the piano would improvise dashingly until the mood which had taken him from his desk passed then back to his labor the house stood in the upper corner of a park of fifty or sixty acres of woodland not over cleared and open by winding paths down the hillside to the lake every turn every rock had its name usually celebrating some wagnerian scene and as you passed mr schurz would roll out the appropriate song there never was a more lovable or youthful man of seventy than karl schurz the completion of the life of lincoln did not end my interest in the man he had come to mean more to me as a human being than anybody i had studied i never doubted his motives and he never bored me still whenever i have the opportunity i pick him up the greatest regret of my professional life is that i shall not live to write another life of him 
there is so much of him i never touched end of chapter nine